Have you ever thought of buying a franchise or currently own one or many? If so, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Franchise Euphoria, the podcast created and hosted by franchise attorney Josh Brown for the sole purpose of helping people find success through franchising. Hello and welcome to another episode of Franchise Euphoria, the podcast to help buyers, owners, and expansion-minded businesses find success through franchising. Can you really systematically and consistently get the results you want from others while making them feel genuinely good about themselves, about the process, and about you? Our guest says, absolutely. Bob Berg is a sought-after speaker at corporate conventions and for entrepreneurial events. He regularly addresses audiences ranging in size from 50 to 16,000, sharing the, the platform with notables including today's top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, Olympic athletes, and political leaders including a former United States president. Although for years he was best known for his book Endless Referrals, over the past few years, it's his business parable, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann, that has captured the heart and imagination of his readers. It shot to number six on the Wall Street Journal's business bestsellers list just three weeks after its release and reached number nine on Business Weeks. Since its release, it has consistently stayed in the top 25 on 800 CEO Reads business book bestseller list. It's been translated into 21 languages. It's his fourth book to sell over 250,000 copies. He believes his new book, Adversaries into Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion, is by far his most important work yet. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He is also an unapologetic animal fanatic and serves as a member of the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption and Clinic in Jupiter, Florida. Hello, Bob, and welcome to the show. Josh, thank you. Great to be with you. Well, thank you. And and before we dive into some questions here, I'd, I'd like to just take a moment and just thank you and John David Mann for writing The Go-Giver. That was really the first of your books that I read and really think it is powerful instructive and and really a must read for every small business owner and their teams so thank you for that well thank you i take that as a great compliment josh thank you well as you know bob my my audience is made up of franchise buyers owners and businesses that would like to grow grow through the franchise model your newest book adversaries into allies win people over without manipulation or coercion touches on so many important points that if followed, I'm convinced will have a big impact on any entrepreneur's mindset and business. Before we dive into the details of the book, I'm curious, what led to you deciding to write this, write this book? Well, Josh, I think more and more people know that you can really have practically all the positive success traits working for you. I mean, you, you can be very talented and of extremely high character. 
you can be ambitious, kind, charitable, hardworking, thrifty, energetic, have a knack for numbers, a head for business. Uh, you can be creative and even tempered and, and all that. And, and all that, by the way, is great. It's terrific. Um, however, unless you can influence others, and by that I simply mean move people to the desired and appropriate action, uh, then your, your chances for attaining really significant success are somewhat limited. On the other hand, when, when combining benevolent intent and a learned skill set, you can find yourself really constantly, consistently, and even predictably uh, attaining satisfaction both personally and in business while adding exceptional value to everyone whose lives you touch. Now, I personally call that ultimate influence, the ability to get the results you want from others while helping them feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. And Josh, the people who can do that are the ultra-successful people. You know, we've all seen the people who they, they are talented and they have a lot of those great skills and traits. And hey, you know, they achieve some very legitimate level of success. And yet somehow they seem to get passed by, whether it's, uh, you know, corporately or whether it's entrepreneurially or whether it's sales, what have you. And and it and and those people just seem to have that that way with people. People seem to respond to them. People seem to buy into their ideas easier. They seem to have people working with them rather than against them. And this book is really was really written to equip people to be able to have that skill set. Well, you know, I love that, Bob, because I really, you know, one of the main things I took from the book that, you know, I sort of had a preconceived notion really my entire life that you were either born with good people skills or you weren't. You know, I, I never really thought about the notion that they could be taught or they could be learned. And after reading your book, it really kind of resonated with me that, yeah, there is a way to do that. And it's a lot of nuances. And, and, you know, you talk, for instance, a lot about the difference between persuasion and manipulation. And I'd love if you could explain that and sort of the fine line uh, between the two. Well, sure. And it's a great question, because when you think of it, influence uh, defined very basically is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. So you can influence people in a negative way or a positive way. You could influence them through manipulating them or you could influence them through persuading them. Uh, I see the two of them as being distant cousins, if you will. One's the good cousin and one's the evil cousin. Obviously, manipulation is the evil cousin. Um, but let's face it, they are cousins. And, and both the manipulate because they, there are certain basic principles involved with both. It's how they're used that makes the difference. Um, the, um, uh, you know, I, I remember years ago reading a, a great book by a, a, a gentleman named Dr. Paul W. Sweats called The Art of Talking So That People Will Listen. And it was really much more about listening <laughs> as opposed to talking. It was a great book. It was really brilliant. And he gave what I felt was the best summarization of the difference between manipulation and persuasion that I'd ever read. And basically what he said is that manipulation aims at control, not cooperation. It does not consider the good of the other party. Uh, it results in a win-lose situation. 
Now, in contrast to the to the manipulator, the persuader always seeks to enhance the self-esteem of the other party. The result is that people respond better because they're treated as responsible or response-able self-directing individuals. So what we see, Josh, is that the difference between manipulation and persuasion, and both the manipulator and the persuader, they understand what moves people. They understand those motivators that people have, and they know how to utilize them. Uh, but the, the manipulator will win at any cost. They, they may not, not be intentionally trying to hurt another person, but they don't care if they do as long as they get what they want. They're totally I-focused or me-focused. A persuader will never do that. Their feeling is for them to win, the other person has to win. Now, so it begins, the difference between the two begins with intent, but that's not where it ends. Because see, both the manipulator and the persuader Okay, using their people skills, if you will, and I always say there's nothing there's nothing more dangerous than a bad person with good people skills and manipulator, <laughs> and they they can both um, you know elicit um, immediate results, but that's it because see once you know you've been manipulated or taken advantage of or or coerced in any way, and all that falls under manipulation, you're not going to do business with that person again. You're not going to buy into that person's ideas again. You're not going to want to join that person again. The trust is going to be gone. On the other hand, when you've been persuaded by someone, you've enjoyed the results. You felt good about the results. You knew they had your best interest in mind, and it was very, very genuine. So I often say that a manipulator can have employees, but very rarely a loyal team. A manipulator can make the sale, but very rarely have a satisfied customer and practically never a personal walking referral ambassador. And a, uh, a manipulator can even have a family who they love and a family who loves them, but very rarely is it a functional family. So not only is, is manipulation not good business practice, it's not good life practice. It's much more effective and simply much better to be a persuader rather than a manipulator. Well, you know, I love that, Bob. And, and, and I think, you know, for me, when I read about that and just hearing you explain that, you know, it seems to me to really come down to, you know, when somebody who is tr who is ultimately manipulating you, they're really coming at it from the perspective of how it's going to benefit them. It's all about them, them, them. Oh, yeah. You know, and persuasion is more about trying to really help the other person you know you really want to persuade them because you feel like wow this is really going to benefit them and it's more about them than it is you um and, and that just that really resonates with me and I, I completely agree with you that you know a lot of these principles while certainly are often applied in business when applied they, they're applied to your whole life yeah these are really across the board i had a lot of people ask because of my uh, background in sales and, and my writing, which tends to, to be around sales and marketing, they asked if this was a sales book. And I said, well, you know, in the sense that when you think of it, everything is in a sense selling uh, in that you're communicating an idea that you'd like someone to buy into. Sure. But and, and while there are some selling uh, chapters in the book and the chapters are all basically after the first chapter, which explains the five uh, uh, principles. 
of Ultimate Influence, the chapters are generally about anywhere from one to three pages, so they're very short. And while I do have some sales vignettes in there, it's really not just about selling in that context. It's it's about all sorts of um, it's about all sorts of working with other human beings, and, and that's uh, so it, it goes across the board. Well, and really, you know, most businesses involve working with other human beings so it's so it's so vital and important i mean very rarely do we have businesses that are in a vacuum you know you have customers you have potential customers you have potential clients um and and so on and so forth and being able to relate to them in a genuine authentic and and really a proper way Uh is key and and you mentioned in your in your last response the five principles of ultimate influence and i'd love to get into that and first just find out what are they and really is ultimate influence different from regular influence and, and sort of what the differences are. Sure. Well, the five principles themselves, number one is control your own emotions. Number two is to understand the clash of belief systems. And this was certainly a life changer for me. Number three is to acknowledge the other person's ego. Uh, acknowledge their ego. Uh, number four is to set the proper frame, and number five is communicate with tact and empathy. And and really, the you know the only difference between uh, uh, influence and ultimate influence is is one is is simply the uh, you know influence itself is is the ability to move a person to a, a certain. Uh, thought or action, whereas ultimate influence is you are doing so in such a way that everyone comes away a winner. Everyone comes away feeling good about the transaction. So when you talk about principle one, you talk about controlling your own emotions. I mean, it it sounds so obvious and so, well, you know, almost common sense. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by it? Well, as human beings, we are emotional creatures. Uh, We're emotional beings. Um, we we uh, we'd like to think we're logical, <laughs> and, and to a certain point, we we of course we are. But we're we're very emotion driven, and as human beings, we make major decisions uh, emotionally based on emotion, and then we back those emotional decisions up with logic, or we rationalize, which you could say is to tell ourselves rational lies in order to justify that emotion based decision. Well, I think most of us understand that. But there's also the type of emotion we need to deal with within ourselves in which, while certainly no one can make us mad or sad or, or angry or whatever, we can, what people can do is they can, they can either intentionally or more than likely unintentionally say or do things that pushes our buttons and causes us to make ourselves mad or angry or sad or depressed or confused or what have you. When this happens... We're operating out of a position of weakness. See, the, the sages asked, who is a mighty person? And answered, that person who can control their own emotions and make of an enemy or of a potential enemy a friend. It's only when you can control your own emotions, Josh, that you're even in a position where you can take a perhaps negative or potentially negative situation or person and, and turn that into a win for everyone involved. So it's very key that we're able to understand this. Now, this is not to say that emotions are a bad thing. Again, they're a part of life. They're a good part of life, as long as we're in control of them and they're not in control of us. I quote my great friend Dondi Scumachi in the book as saying, by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. 
Well, I love that too, Bob, because I love some of the practical um, examples and uh, that you share in the book. I mean, the one that one of the which that sticks out is, uh, I believe you said it was Abraham Lincoln who, you know, whenever he was angry or would have virtue, he he would write a letter, seal it, and then immediately tear it all up. So in other words, he'd get it all out of himself, but then was wise enough to be able to shred it into a million pieces so that it could never possibly be sent. I mean, I know for myself, I tend to, what I've, what I've started to do is I will write emails. You know, that's sort of the danger with email is that it's so quick. <laughs> and so if people don't, if people don't stop, uh, they could really send emails that they regret. But what I've gotten in the habit of doing is when I write an email, I take, I leave blank the the two part of it, so where it's going, so that it's not possible for right. it to accidentally be sent. But I just think that is so critical. I mean, in my field of law, I've seen it so many times where people send emails that they regret. And a lot of times, quite frankly, it's the lawyers going back and forth. And you often hear, oh, I'm really sorry, I should have never sent that. And it's one of those things that's just, it, it's vital uh, to your ultimate success and ultimate influence on others. Oh uh, yeah, well it very much is, and and of course uh, the comparison to to Lincoln's day would be email, would be Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or or whatever Google Plus, whatever social medium you're you're on at the time. Um, and so yes, we absolutely you know we can write the letter, write the email, put every invective in there, everything you want. But, but absolutely do not send that until you are absolutely positively sure it's the right thing. And, and before it's the right thing, you'll have taken out all those invectives and you'll take out all the curses and you'll take out all the insults. Uh, you know, in adversaries and allies, I've got different examples of, of you know, letters and, and diff just different ways of wording things that will help you to, to not fall victim to that, the, uh, that, that, lack of control of your own emotions that can never hurt that can never help you it can possibly hurt you but it can never help you when your emotions are controlling you now there is a time and place to be angry there's a time and place to say things that are right but as yeah, long yeah. as we're in control of ourselves when we're doing it and it's a conscious choice that's the key yeah, you have to be able to sort of separate it, right? I mean, you have to sort of be able to separate yourself from that emotion uh, to really be effective. And, and you know, it just never, it, it never, ever is going to hurt you to just wait a little bit longer to send that email, to give yourself that one more chance to read it over and really be sure. So I think that I think that's a great point. And you know, in principle number two, you speak about principle number two is understand the clash of belief systems. And I'm curious what you mean by belief systems. Well, a, a belief can be defined as a subjective truth. It's the truth as you understand the truth to be, or the truth as I understand the truth to be. It, it's not necessarily the truth. It's our truth. Now, sometimes one's truth and the truth are the same, but often they're not. And they're really typically based on the, the lens through which a person sees their world. Uh, a belief system, as I call it, is, is comprised of uh, everything from upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, uh, 
uh, popular culture, cultural mores, everything you touch, taste, see, hear, smell, everything that's ever touched us. But, you know, Josh, the, the, the crazy thing is that it basically is pretty well set by the time we're a little more than toddlers. And then everything that comes in is sort of based on that um, and, and, and so forth. So what happens is as human beings, as adult human beings, most of us are, actually all of us, are run by an operating system, our belief system, that we're not even aware that we're being run by. Now, that's insidious enough, but now understand that this other person, uh, whether it's that other lawyer, whether it's a client, whether it's a customer, whether whomever, they're also run by their same set of beliefs, their operating system that they're not aware of. Now, let's add one more thing to this. As human beings, we tend to believe that everybody else sees the world the same basic way that we see the world. How could it be any other way? Anything else? It's how we see. We don't know anything else. It's, we believe how we see. And that's why you hear people often say things like, uh, well, I, uh, everybody feels that way. Nobody likes that, which isn't really necessarily true. Or you may have heard someone say or maybe even fall into the trap of saying this yourself. I know I have. Oh, I would never speak like that to someone or I would never say that to someone. Well, no, we wouldn't because that's not congruent with our belief system, but it is with someone else's. So, so in this case, what we really need to do is not necessarily understand their belief system. The fact is they probably don't fully understand their belief system and we don't have 20 years to try to understand it. Uh, what we need to do is simply understand that they most likely see the world from a different set of beliefs than we see the world. And as long as we understand that, now we can operate within that context in such a way that it's a win for everyone involved. Well, you know, and, and, and belief systems really form, form the basis of each individual's ego, which, you know, ties in perfectly to principle number three acknowledging their ego. I mean, it sounds uh, so important, but how do you do that? Sure. And well, you know, the ego really, when you think of it, is nothing more than the I. It's that part of ourselves that recognizes and realizes that we are a unique individual separate from every other thing and even every other person, which, uh, you know, sounds a little politically incorrect to say these days when there's so much talk of, you know, we're all in it together or all that, you know, and hey, let's face it, you know, even uh, uh, Napoleon Hill talked about universal consciousness and we, we know from quantum physics that, that, that everything really is connected and so, and that's fine. None of that, none of that contradicts the fact that in our earthly human existence, we operate as individuals. How we can we can join certain groups. We can we can be part of different groups, teams, communities, businesses. What have that's that's fine. All that's great. Um, but we also operate as individuals, unique individuals, and we all have our own ego. And when that ego is it's like emotions, and, and ego ego is very uh, closely tied to emotion. When we're in control of our ego and we're directing our ego, we can accomplish great things, both for ourselves and for society as a whole. It's when our ego is in control of us and gets away from us, now we start acting in a very counterproductive way. Well, it's the same with this other person. And when I say acknowledge the ego, I don't mean you 
verbally say to that person, hey, pal, your ego, get a grip. You know, that, that will have just the opposite result. What I mean is to acknowledge to yourself, acknowledge that if they're acting in a way that that's rude or, or not kind or you know counterproductive, not even in their best interest, but there's a good chance their ego has gotten in, in has taken control. And if we don't acknowledge that, we're not allowing ourselves to be in a position where we can work effectively with that. You know, Josh, I would, I don't think it's going out on a limb at all to say that the 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 main ingredient for being able to move someone to take a certain action is how you make them feel about themselves and when they feel good about themselves and good about you they're most likely to take that action yeah I, I could not agree more I mean especially because you know so we have encounters every day with people right and I think we, we don't know what experiences they're coming from what mood they're in, what things have affected them. But yet a lot of times people will take a certain reaction a certain way because they're coming from their own perspective. But but if you can take in that moment, and I think, you know, this is so important for small business owners or uh, that if you can look at your customer and understand that they've got a whole nother world that they're coming from just like you and you can make them feel good in those moments that you're with them, you're going to have a much better chance of winning them over. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. And that's why, you know, that's why authenticity is a real big part of it. Uh, you, you've got to genuinely want to benefit that other person. Uh, you've got to genuinely care about them because people respond to that and they know. They usually, you know, hey, there's some people who can fake it pretty well for a while, and those are the manipulators. But, you know, most of us, we need to be genuinely interested in that other person, and, and, and they need to be able to sense that. Now, principle number four is set the proper frame. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, a frame is simply the foundation from which everything else uh, uh, evolves. Uh, uh, to give a very quick example, uh, I, and I shared this in the book, I was at a, a Dunkin' Donuts store, and there was a, a little boy, a toddler, probably two, two and a half years old, was kind of running around uh, the place, and he began to walk toward his parents. And uh, he fell, you know, he, he took a spill. And it, he didn't hurt himself, but you could tell by the look on his face that he, he was shocked. He, he, he intuitively knew that was not supposed to happen. So he immediately looked at his mom and dad for their response, for their, I should say, for their interpretation of the event. Uh, what happened, happened, but he wanted to know what's next, right? And his parents, I, I truly believe, had they... Uh, gotten panicky or upset or, you know, oh, no, are you all right? Oh, my poor baby. I, I, I think he would have started to cry. But his parents just handled it so beautifully. They uh, they smiled and they applauded and they said, oh, what a good trip. That looked like so much fun. And, and immediately he started to laugh. Well, what his parents did, Josh, is they set a productive frame from which he could operate. And this is something we always have the opportunity to do when we first meet someone and we first enter into, uh, whether it's a business transaction or personal transaction, what have you. Uh, it can be as simple as a smile. You know, Dan Goldman in his book, Emotional Intelligence, talked about a smile as being, you know, practically irresistible. You know, it's almost impossible when someone smiles at you not to smile back. Not that there aren't people who don't, but by and large, most people do. 
feel good when they're smiled at. Hey, it might also be that you're in a conversation with a few people. Somebody walks into the room and you can tell they want to come over and join the group, but they're tentative. So what do you do? Maybe you open up your body language a little bit so they know that they're welcome. That's setting a frame of openness. So we can always do that in a, in a transaction. The key is to be able to, to reset somebody else's already negative frame. And that's the person who comes into this transaction in a bad mood, or maybe they're a, a win-lose negotiator type, or they just see others as the enemy. You know, who knows? And it's when we can do that that we always see in any interpersonal, in any difficult interpersonal, tra in any interpersonal transaction, a frame will be set. The only question is, who's going to set the frame? If you, if you, uh, you know, allow them to, or if you just let them, you know, then you're taking a chance. You're depending on, on luck that this person's going to understand a frame or that they're going to consciously or unconsciously set a productive one. Uh, but that's luck. If you set the frame, now you have a great idea as, as to how this is going to progress. Yeah, no, I really love that. And I, I, I really uh, relate to the story you told about, about, uh, the baby or the kid. I have two young ones myself. And, and we realized that with our, with our first daughter, when she was younger, you know, when you, when you're a new parent and, and anytime your child, you know, trips or falls, it's like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, but what we found out quickly, just like you said, was when we reacted that way, that mm -hmm. set off a reaction in our daughter. But when we reacted in a, Oh, yeah, no big deal. Or, you know, joke about it she wouldn't cry. And, and, and that was, I think, you know, and, and I could totally uh, resonate with that. And it's, it's so true. And, you know, finally you talk about principle number five, communicate with tact and empathy. Can you explain that a little bit more as well? Sure. This is such a key because you know, you could do all, all the, the other four perfectly, but it's really being able to communicate with tact and empathy that brings it all home. Uh, my dad has always defined tact as the language of strength. And I think that is just so right on the mark. Really, when you think about it, it, it one of my favorite books was How to Have Confidence and Power in Dealing with People by Les Giblin. Wrote years and years, written years and years ago. Um, and, and what he wrote was, what counts is attaining personal satisfaction without trampling upon the egos of those you deal with. And so we see how, how, uh, you know, how tact, uh, is so related to ego is so related to framing is so related to emotion. You know, it all, it, it really brings it all together. Tact is really, when you think of it, it's a way of, of being able to, uh, to correct a person, critique a person, uh, dare I say, constructively criticize a person, and not that we want to do any of those things, of course not, but hey, we're talking about the real world, not a fantasy world, and there are times, uh, you know, people do things that are incorrect, they they overpay on a negotiable product, or they give a, uh, you know, maybe they give a, a franchisee, a potential franchisee, some wrong information, or a customer, the wrong quote, you know, or, or they're disrespectful to somebody, or they're not providing great customer service, or they're talking disrespectfully to a family member. We've got to be able to teach, but we've got to be able to do so in a way that not only will the person not be defensive about it and resistant to us and our message, but they'll be very open to us and very... Uh, accepting of our message. And that's what tact and empathy 
uh, allows to happen. Now, you say that there's one question you can ask that is pretty much guaranteed to keep a potential misunderstanding from ever actually taking place. We got to know that one. Well, this is actually very, very simple, and it has to do with belief systems. Because remember, uh, with belief systems, we take different ideas, thoughts, words, and we interpret them different ways. And through our own, not only through our own lens, Josh, but we assume everyone else has the same lens as us. Remember, we were discussing that earlier. So it could be something as simple as, you know, your friend says, hey, you want to meet tomorrow night at, you know, five o'clock at the uh, at the beach? And you say, yeah, sure, I'll meet you there. So at five o'clock, you go to that place on the beach where, where, uh, uh, and I know you're in Indiana, so that's probably not something that's going to happen uh, a whole lot, but let's just, let's just say it would. Uh, and you go to the beach at five o'clock, they're not there. The next day you say, hey, why did you stand me up? I thought we were meeting at five o'clock at the beach. He said, I was there. No, you weren't. Yes, I was. Not well. It turns out while you were at the beach by the ocean, he was at that new restaurant called The Beach. You both took the word the beach and you uh, interpreted through your own lens. Now, let's say you have a, you're with your team and the, 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 you, you say, hey, the, the client called and there's a, a change in the, uh, uh, the deadline it needs to be done as soon as possible. Well, what does that mean? One person in your team, they, they, to them, as soon as possible means it has to be done right away so they, they don't go to their kid's ball game that night and they stay up all night, they do all the work, Another person, they believe that means at the end of the week, another person to them, they come from a situation where as soon as possible means as soon as the previous job's done. So you've got three or four different people all assuming different things. What the person would say is, what the team member would say is, uh, Josh, just for my own clarification, when you say as soon as possible, is there a specific date you have in mind? And what that does is it, it totally it calls for total clarification. There can be no misunderstanding. So the actual, the actual sentence or the actual question is, how would you define or what do you mean by? But you, you want to say it, I, I put sort of a, a tactful softener in front of that so it doesn't come off as, as making a person defensive. So I'd say, just for my own clarification or just to make sure we're all on the same page, when you say X, you know, what exactly do you mean? And that way, that now, the same thing when you're the one that brings the news, that it needs to be done as soon as possible. You need to make sure that you say, uh, just, just to make sure that I, you know, that I have us all on the same wavelength, uh, when I say as soon as possible, that means, you know, Wednesday by end of day, 5 o'clock. In other words, you, you, you ask the other person to define their term. Well, and I love the story you tell in the book about, I think it was a friend of yours that called you up and said, hey, I'm looking for a house. Right near the ocean or, or how far from the ocean or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you said, oh, yeah, that, that house isn't close to the ocean. He comes out and, you know, you live across the street from the ocean, whereas, you know, the house was seven miles from the ocean. Right. And for him coming 700 miles away from the ocean, that's close, but it's not close from your perspective. Right. Those are the subjective truths at work. I mean, the truth was it was seven miles from the ocean. My truth, living right near the ocean, is at seven miles as far away from the ocean. His truth, living seven hundred miles, is that seven hundred miles, or is that seven miles uh, isn't far at all. So you know, why didn't I say? You know, why didn't I say it's seven miles? I, I don't know. <laughs> it was a long time ago, and I don't remember the circumstances, but we both did end up having a good laugh over it. 
But, you know, it's just one of those things in common conversation you don't think of. And I think the bigger point to to business people and people in general is is take the time to really ask that one more question. Make sure you're absolutely clear and understand that, you know, we can't really assume anything. Exactly. Exactly. Now, before we go, I mean, you you tell a a really a delightful story about your dad. And I know your dad um, and mom have had such a big influence on you. Uh, but you tell a story about when, when you talk about how much character has to do with our ability in, to influence. And, and if you if you wouldn't mind, would you share with us that story? Yeah, well, what happened, I think I was about 10 years old at the time. And uh, we were we were having new carpet put in. And the, uh, you know, the crew chief was a, a nice guy, but he was a little rough around the edges and so forth. And uh, at noon, my folks bought pizza for the crew. So my dad uh, brought it up. Uh, for them, and, and then he, you know, went to talk to the uh, crew chief just to find out how the job was going. And I was just sort of uh, around the corner, and I, I was just listening in. And uh, the crew chief said, "Now, you know, my dad's the kind of guy. He, he, you know, came from very poor, you know, Americana depression from the streets background, and he's a guy who everybody can relate to. Just uh, he's one of these people. He did have, and still does to this day, have those natural people skills that most of us don't have." But uh, but uh, just everybody loves my dad, and, and so I, I guess this guy, you know, figured it was uh, male bonding. You know, talk disrespectfully about wives, and which is something he probably I would imagine you know did quite a bit. And uh, and I say that only because of the conversation. He said to my dad something like, "Well, Mr. Berg, this is a really expensive job. Those women will really spend our money for us, won't they?" And I know he expected Dad to say something like, yeah, well, you know, or something. But I, I knew Dad would never, never uh, answer like that. There's, there's no way. And, you know, Dad, but Dad would also never insult the person either. Uh, he would do it in his kind, tactful way. And Dad said something like, well, you know, when they're the reason you've got what you have, you, you're happy, uh, you know, to do anything you can for them. And that wasn't the answer, you know, that the crew chief was expecting. And he, he tried to get, you know, well, yeah, I understand that, but boy, they'll take advantage of that or something, whatever it was. And dad said, well, I'll tell you what, you know, when they were there with you before you had anything, uh, and they're the one that stood by you the whole way, uh, you're, you know, you're just, it's a pleasure to, yeah, it was like that. And, and I think the crew chief tried one more time and it was also unsuccessful and he just gave up at that point. Uh, but you know what? It re and I, I really don't know if he learned a lesson about how a real man talks about his wife. But I know I learned a great lesson there about what character really is. And I think when it comes to leadership, I think when it comes to influence, Josh, as important as the right words are, it's probably the least important. Uh, you know, what you do is certainly more important than what you say. But when it comes right down to it, I think it's really simply who you are. And that's where character comes into play. And what I notice about people of high character is that they, they tend to stand for something. And with people of high character, you tend to know exactly where they stand. Now, that doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. Of course they do. It doesn't mean they don't course correct. Absolutely they do. And it doesn't mean they won't be you know, flexible at times in terms of methods, uh, you know, but, but they'll never be flexible when it comes to value-based decisions. I always love what Zig Ziglar said, be flexible on method, uh, but, but, uh, but uh, 
Jen, I apologize, but like a stone when it comes to values or immovable with values. And, and I uh, and I think that's really what it, what it's about. And that's just you know I, I I don't think I ever heard my parents. Oh, I know I never heard my parents ever speak disrespectfully about each other to friends or relatives or or anyone like that. It just isn't something that that would have happened. And hey, they're a regular couple. Doesn't mean they never had problems or never had. But no, you'd, you'd never have heard something disrespectful. And to me, that's character. Well, th thank you for sharing that. I think that's a that's a great story with a great lesson. And, you know, Bob, I just I love the the combination of the psychology of what you do and write about combined with the practical implementation and aspects of it. And um, I'd love for you to tell us you know, where where can I, where can my listeners learn more about you um, and where to find your books and upcoming events and so on and so forth. Uh, thank you. They can they can visit uh, Berg.com and that's spelled B-U-R-G.com. And while they're there, uh, on the right hand side, they can click on uh, a graphic of the book, Adversaries into Allies. And if they click on that, it will take them to a page where they can download chapter one to see if they like it first. And they can click through if they'd like to order from uh, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Or they can get at their local bookseller. They can also subscribe to my Influence and Success Insights, where we send out value-based information about every week or so. Um, and they can also, where it says uh, to check out the Go Giver Way or join our Go Giver community. Uh, it's a, a Go Giver online member community, which is a lot of fun, and it's a really profitable way of doing business, tapping into the five laws. And we've got people from all over the world uh, that are now a part of it, and it's really growing. So. Uh, come on to Berg.com, B-U-R-G, and uh, hang around. Well, thank you again, Bob. I look forward to continuing to read um, your books as you continue to um, put them out. And, and, and following all your great successes, I really think what you're doing uh, is fantastic on many levels and, and really uh, is having a big impact on a lot of people. So thank you for that. Wow, Josh, I appreciate that a lot. It's, it's, it's great being connected with you on social media and getting a chance to speak with you on the phone and be on your show. Absolutely. We'll talk again soon. We'd love it. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for being with us today on the Franchise Euphoria podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to go to iTunes and provide a review. Also, please remember that although Josh Brown is a licensed and practicing attorney, nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as legal advice, because it is not. The information contained in this podcast is general and educational in nature, and none of it should be relied upon as legal advice. That being said, if you have questions for Josh and would like to contact him, please email him at josh at franchiseuphoria.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you tune in to our next weekly episode.